Good morning. It's great to add my welcome to everybody. I hope you're having a fantastic time. I guess things are becoming a bit more Christmassy as we get nearer to it. I went to my first um, Santa's Grotto yesterday. Uh, not on my own, I might add. Uh, various grandchildren were with me down in Salisbury. It was a very good experience and Father Christmas sat down. as a whole crowd of us actually started telling us stories about Christmas and the background of Christmas and what Christmas means and uh, started to tell stories about um, you know, being good and not good and engaging with the children. And then towards the end, having read a poem about Christmas and everything, he said, um, now there's still something missing. Have you noticed? What is it? My grandkids in a loud voice said, Jesus. <laughs> and we all looked at one another and said, Jesus. And it was the wrong answer. The answer was Rudolph. <laughs> it's got really embarrassing. What has Jesus got to do with anything? So you have these kind of weird moments when it comes to the Christmas story because there's a kind of conflict of engagement but it's all fun a bit of confusion but it's wonderful to know that as Christmas comes as Tony has so wonderfully led us this morning in engaging with us and encouraging us please bring people along to all these events that are happening because it's perhaps one of the very few opportunities in the year when people who are not really that interested in God will come along and they might meet him in a wonderful way which is fantastic <laughs> Uh, this morning, I'm about to do a, a kind of one-off preach. Uh, we've just come to the end of a series, and from next week on, we'll be speaking into the whole of Christmas story, so we've got one little gap, and I hope you've really enjoyed this last series. We've been doing a, a series on an honest conversation about big things. It's probably one of the very few series that I can remember where people have actually come because they know the title of what we're talking about, which is really exciting. And it's been very engaging and it's led to lots of conversations. And I found out just last week or so that there's been people around the country uh, coming online and listening to us and uh, listening to the subjects. James, as you know, did two weeks on sex. And um, I was talking to one of the guys. He said, our church has really kind of been listening to James talking on this very important subject. Loads of people in our church have been listening to it. He said, can I let you a secret? We actually now call it Silly on Sex. <laughs> To which I replied, that sounds like a Sussex resort somewhere, you know. <laughs> but just to let you know, it's not just engaging with you. These things kind of roll on and on and go into other situations as well. This morning I want to talk about, for a few moments, a subject which is very important in terms of the fact that it's a major theme that's mentioned in the Bible again and again and again. And it has to do with the issue of the heart. Following Jesus is a heart issue. It's not actually a one-off decision. We've been talking this morning about people who've made a decision to follow Jesus. But it's not even just saying, I agree with what the Bible says about him. Really, it's about Jesus getting hold of our hearts and engaging with our hearts and even possessing our hearts. When you read the Bible, you keep on hearing the word heart. It's from the heart that you and I make choices. So it's important that our heart is right. It's from the heart that we make decisions. Even church has to do with the heart. I'm having some fun again this morning. Is this all right? Even just... Go like that, and I'll use the other one if it does that again. 
Even church has to do with the heart in as much as we have relationships with one another. So church is not something I come to on a Sunday. It's an issue of the heart because it's about being in heart friendship and relationship with one another. If you come and become a member of this church, it's really about you engaging your heart with us and what we're doing as a family of people together. The heart is important in relationships also because if you're married, then there's a heart issue there. If you have children, there's a heart issue there as well. And when it comes to possessions and the things that, that, that uh, James was talking about last week about money, it's a lot to do with the heart and our heart attitude to the responses of these things. Even all the things we hear week by week is not about head knowledge. It's about the response of our hearts. And this last series that we've done, actually, despite the fact that millions are listening to it online, the, re- the reality is this, that it doesn't actually change anybody if it's just stuck in your head and it doesn't actually get... The only people responding to this last series are those who've allowed the Word of God to come into their hearts. Actually, it's always a bit sobering for me because I think about this sometimes. I look back over a year, we're coming to the end of 2016, And I look back on all the sermons that I've heard and all the preaches that I've heard and all the teaching that I've heard. And it's a bit sobering because I have to ask myself the question, how much of it really penetrated my life? Jesus spoke a lot about this. He talks about those who hear the word of God and then those who hear the word of God and do the word of God. And there's this well-known parable, isn't there? We call it the parable of the sower. The sower went out and he scattered seeds on the ground. And we know that some seed fell on the ground and it was just taken straight away. Some seed went on the ground and it grew up a little bit and then it shriveled. Some seed fell on the soil that was really good and it produced much fruit. I have a real problem calling this the parable of the sower because it's not about the sower. It's not even, it is about the seed, but it's even more about the soil. It should be called the parable of the soil. What do I mean by that? Jesus is talking about people's hearts. And it's the hearts that are receptive that when the word comes, you do what is said because you produce all the fruit that comes from us. So so coming to the end of this year, what's really touched you? What's really grabbed your attention? What has actually penetrated your heart? Because it's that which is going to last. The heart is important. Jesus may have entered our hearts, but our lives, sorry, but does he really have our whole hearts? Am I communicating? Have you noticed how increasingly difficult it's becoming to be a Christian in 21st century London if you're only half-hearted? It's just becoming difficult because you get get torn and you're tempted to compromise. I'd like to say to us this morning, as I study God's word and think about the subject of the heart, some of us unknowingly have a heart condition. But it's not physical. But it's still a condition. And it's still real. And God wants to do a work in our hearts. The heart of the matter, as someone has said, is the matter of the heart. And the good news for us this morning is this. God changes hearts. 
Sometimes he does that suddenly, and if you're a Christian, you'll have sudden heart encounters with God, whereby suddenly revelation will come and something dramatic will happen. Often, our heart changes slowly and gradually as God keeps on speaking to us and molding and shaping our hearts for his glory. Folks, this God even has the power to mend broken hearts. Isaiah 61, he heals the broken hearted. Some of us have been, still have broken hearts. My son Daniel, when he was 11, they discovered real problems in his physical heart. It wasn't just a hole, but there were you know, things coming in and out the wrong way, and he was in serious trouble, and he's rushed into Great Ormond Street. And I remember that experience very vividly, as you can imagine, as a father. And all the time we went through that, I was just amazed at the ability of the surgeons. In fact, he was in operation far longer than he should have been. So we're sitting, waiting, 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 and the, the surgeon came out and said, oh, we found something else wrong. It's like going to the dentist, you know. And uh, while we was there, we thought, oh, we've got another hour or two. We'll just kind of do something. I mean, it was just amazing what they did. And, you know, he's now six foot five with four kids. He's doing pretty well. The reality is that that was the, the skill of the, of the surgeon who did that. The amazing thing about God is that he is, he is the surgeon when it comes to our hearts, beyond the physical. He made your heart, and for most of us, our hearts got messed up. Also, you'll see in a moment, when I speak on this, our hearts get affected and all messed up. But the God who made your heart has the ability to heal it, to mend it, to soften it, to strengthen it, whatever you might need. This is our God. He is amazing. He can do this. God loves you, and he wants your whole heart. He doesn't want you just to be a struggling Christian who just about makes it through every year, and your faith is always being tested, and it's always difficult, and, 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 and you're going up and down. He wants to do such a work in your heart that your heart is so positioned towards him that it actually is a transformation. The gospel saves us, but it also transforms us, which means complete surgery yes. on our hearts. Are you, are you welcome? Are you, do, would, you like, would you like me to do, do a work on your heart or God? Let's put it that way. He's the one with the knife. Jesus says of, of, of his heavenly father, he's the vine dresser. We're, he's, he's, Jesus is the vine. He's the vine dresser. He comes to prune. He's the one who does the surgery. He's the one. You're in the best possible hands. So there's no point this morning being a Christian that kind of walks with God but always holds yourself back in case he hurts you or he does something that you think might be too painful for you to get through on. That's impossible. This is a loving heavenly father who the Bible says it's impossible for him to cause you harm or pain. So you can abandon yourself to him. Yeah. Say, Lord, whatever you need to do in my heart, whatever needs to be transformed, mended, deep surgery, whatever it might be, I give you permission to do it. He's not going to do it unless you give him permission. What does the Bible say about the heart? Let me just draw out some important principles about God's word and his view about the heart. The first is this. When the Bible refers to the heart, it's not just talking, obviously, about a physical organ. The one organ in your body through whom the blood pumps and you are able to breathe. 
When the Bible refers to the heart, it's speaking about something far more important than your physical organ. It's talking about the center of your being. It's talking about the very core of who you are. So every time you hear the Bible talk about the heart, it's talking about you and the very center of what makes you you and who you actually are. It's the seat of your emotions. It's the center and the seat of your attitudes, thoughts, and your motives. As I've said already, it is the place, the condition of your heart, where you make certain decisions and you make certain choices. It's absolutely vital. As I watch some Christians make really strange choices and make really odd decisions, not only that contradict the word of God, but sometimes I feel... That must say something to me about your heart if you're doing that or if you're deciding that that's what you want to do. So the Bible is very clear. This is not about romance. It's not about feelings. The heart is the very essence of who you are as a person, the center, the pumping center of what makes you you. Here's another thing. It's amazing, but right through the Old Testament, we'll get to the New Testament in a moment, this concept of the heart is is mentioned again and again and again. Look up the word heart, look up the Bible, and you'll find it happens again and again. So right back in the early days of the Old Testament, here's a very familiar passage of Scripture, Deuteronomy 6, 5 to 6. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your hearts. This phrase comes again and again. In your heart, on your heart, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And then you get to the Psalms, and the Psalms are a lot about expressing what's going on in the heart of a person. A lot of that is, is worship. A lot of that is lament. A lot of that is anger. But it's a very much a man, you know this phrase, wearing his heart on his psalmist's sleeve so my goodness this guy's really honest what is pouring out his heart this guy's really honest what he knows god is the one who mends his heart there's so many psalms i'll just give you one psalm 37 verse 4 delight yourself in the lord and he will give you the desires of what come on come on come on come on your heart he'll give you the desires of your heart I love Proverbs. Don't know if ever you, read, ever you read the Proverbs. They're amazing. They're fun. They're very cutting. They're very real. And you won't be surprised to know that in the Proverbs, the, the writer of the Proverbs talks a lot about the heart. Let me give you very quickly three examples. Proverbs 4, verse 23. Keep or guard your heart with all diligence or all vigilance, for from your heart flows the springs of life. Proverbs 17, 22. This is a really good one. A cheerful or joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. You have to say, like, crushed spirit dries up the bones. But a cheerful heart, a joyful heart is like good medicine. It's so true, isn't it? Proverbs 27, verse 19. This is amazing. As in water... Face reflects face. So the heart of man reflects 
The man. You, I'm going, aren't I? Yeah, they're saying I've gone. Hang on a minute. Let me read that. Let me read that again. As in water, face water. As as in water, face reflects face. So the heart of man reflects the man. So right rooted in the very beginning of time, all the way through the Old Testament, is God wanting a relationship with man and man's heart. Which is hardly surprising, therefore, that when he comes to anoint a king called David, you all know the story, many of you, and all these sons, are, none of them are the right one. And then there's this wonderful comment, isn't there, where God says, but God doesn't look at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. And it shows you, and when he looked at David, he saw a man after God's own heart. And so he <clears throat> sees the heart. He sees he's not that interested in our outward appearance or our image. What he's really interested in is your heart this morning. You can look good after you've been a Christian for a few years. You can even look like a Christian. Outwardly, everyone goes, oh, he's a Christian. You know, the reality is God sees the heart. Then we come to the New Testament. Just bear with me for a few moments, and we're going to make this very practical. We come to the New Testament and we find that Jesus is always talking about your heart. He's always talking about this essence of who you and I are. Time and time again, it's a fantastic little phrase, but Jesus saw what was in their hearts. How scary is that? So they'd all be talking and putting on this grand show and all the religious people, but Jesus saw what was in their hearts. His teaching was about your heart is what you say Your heart declares to me who you are. It all comes out from the heart. This amazing phrase Jesus once said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. People speak a lot. Have you noticed? People talk, 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 talk all the time. Every time a person talks, it tells me something about their heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Try this one for size. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes. Who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes or disclose the motives of the heart. I think some of you look at people like me sometimes and you think, they seem to be doing all right. It's quite a He's an okay public speaker. He must surely be this. He must surely be that. You have no idea. Because what you don't see is what's in my heart. And we won't be just judged by the public things that we do or don't do. We're all going to be judged by the motives and the attitudes of our heart. That's not a scary thing. It's a true thing. That I stand before a God who's a good judge and a good... And we're going to have a few surprises because some of us thought, I thought she was and I thought he was. But we never saw the motives of the heart. I suppose what I'm saying this morning is, let's get this sorted now before the judgment day. Let's kind of get this, that public ministry, public ministry, what really counts is the heart. The heart will one day be revealed. In fact... You know, we've even had some wonderful words this morning about the light has come. Well, the light has come and it's already shining in our hearts. So our hearts are already being exposed. And if every Christian here this morning could hear it's the heart, it's the heart, it's the heart. That's what matters. That what's. You and I would work on the heart far more on our outward image. 
We spend hours on our outward image. It's not even important. It's not even going to be judged. It's irrelevant. What's relevant is what's on the inside, which is what I heart. And the great news about the gospel is it's come to do a work on the inside. It's come to do transformation on the inside. The whole of the Sermon of the Mount is really all about the heart. We're just talking about Jesus now and how he gets to people's hearts. So the Sermon on the Mount, here's a very quick summary. It's about anger, lust, divorce, the things that we do and say, turn the other cheek, give, give the extra cloak, go the extra mile, love your enemies, give to the poor. Matthew chapter uh, 5 verse 8 in the middle of it says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. It's all about heart response. It's all about <clears throat> how our heart responds, you know, to go the extra mile grudgingly. Isn't what it's about. You go with the extra mile with a heart, <coughs> excuse me, which has been changed and delights as you're going the extra mile to serve this person. Let me quickly say this. There is a battle going on for your heart right now. And it rages all around us, but I don't know whether we're very aware of it. Because the heart, as we've just seen, I think you'd agree with me, is so vital and so important, so therefore there's a battle on for your heart. Society is wanting to get your heart. Society, the world in which we live, this secularized, increasingly secularized world, is not stupid. It's out to win people's hearts. In fact, some are quite, you know, the young, for example. If we can just get to the young and win their hearts and minds. Not really interested in outward appearance, though the young all are. But what society wants to do is really get your, your, your heart and your mind. Because once we've got your heart and mind won, you'll be captured forever. But then we also understand through scripture and through our own experience that we're living in a spiritual battle where there is an enemy. And guess what? The enemy also knows how important your heart is, so he wants to rob your heart. He wants to mess with the affections of your heart. The enemy wants to come in and, and convince you it's all about outward appearance, but what he really wants to do is get your heart. Because if he can mess your heart up, and then the battle also rages because we have a God who loves us, and he is determined to win our hearts. And whether it's the secular or it's the enemy, whether it's God, there's a kind of battle going on. Someone needs to write a, a book called The Battle for the Heart. It'll be a good book. <laughs> it's, just, it's just a matter of trying to get through that and understand. God's intention is to have all of you. His intention is the secular world doesn't rob your heart. His intention is the enemy is defeated. His intention is that he gets all of your heart. And I'm not sure as I stand here this morning that I really have allowed God to have all my heart. I'm a working process. Maybe we all are. We need to give him constantly our hearts. Now let me land this. I think I've, I've shared that burden now with you. It's important. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. But let me go on to just share with you three instructions from Scripture. They're big Areas, but they speak about the condition of our hearts. And this is why it's so important that we give our hearts to God. The first is this the heart is deceitful. There's a problem. 
Jeremiah chapter 17. This is not a verse you hear many preachers preach on every Sunday, okay? Jeremiah 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. You may not like that diagnosis. It might offend you, but it's truth. And the truth is God looks at our hearts and says, the heart is deceitful and desperately sick. That's not pleasant. But what it tells me is this. I can no longer trust my heart alone because in its very nature there is deceit and it is sick and it needs healing. I don't allow my heart just to take me where it wills and dominate me. Now here's another verse of scripture in the Old Testament, Ezekiel 36, verse 26. God says, I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. So biblically, theologically, God says at the same time as your heart is deceitful and sick, I have the power to give you a new heart. This means that I don't trust in my heart on its own. I trust in him who is working in my heart to change me. And the good news is my old heart may be deceitful, but God can utterly change my heart. It's my choice as to whether or not I live in the new heart, in his ways, in who he is and his authority, or whether I ignore him and just continue to live in a heart which is deceitful. My encouraging to you, my encouragement, is to hear this diagnosis and allow that to make you run to God. And allow that to say, Lord, then who am I? <clears throat> How can I get through this? Even as a Christian, my heart could be deceitful and sick. <clears throat> the only way I know through this is to follow you. And to chase after you and do what you want to be. I am going to give you my whole heart. I am going to let your new heart become the dominant feature of my life. The second massive instruction is this. We read it already in Proverbs 4.23. Guard your heart. Keep your heart. It's an important thing. And the verse is amazing because it just says from, from your heart flows life. From your heart, everything flows out from that position. So it's so vital that I do this. It's not, Lord, would you guard my heart? It's, Lord, because I see it's deceitful and I've got a problem there, I'm going to guard it. I'm going to keep it. I'm going to protect my heart, if that's at all possible. How do I guard my heart? Well, can I just share with you some of the things... I found in guarding my heart that's been so helpful over quite a few years now. Uh, and you might have other things, but these are things that have helped me. One is this: I I love worshiping. I don't just I don't wait for Sunday morning. And Sunday morning you can have good times of worship, not so good times of worship. So you can't depend on that. Worship's a lifestyle, and worship is a, an invitation for all of us. I don't know how you are with this, but I love to spend time on my own worshiping. I love when I'm driving in the car and there's no one with me, and sometimes when they are with me, to worship. I love to 
to get on my own and go for a walk somewhere. But you can even do it in the busyness of your life with the small kids all around you and all the, all the, the, the busyness and everything. Because it's an attitude of the heart. And I tell you, the one of the greatest ways to guard and keep your heart from becoming hardened and callous and encrusted with other things and affected by the world and the enemy is just to be a worshipper. I just love to worship. I, I, I would just guarantee the moment you worship, do you know what the first thing gets affected? Your heart. And the good news is your voice can be rubbish. It's absolutely irrelevant. You know, God, I, I just wonder sometimes if God is so miraculous that when he hears you singing and you're tone deaf, he actually hears perfection. Isn't that fantastic? Because he's actually hearing your heart. He's not just hearing your voice. You've been wanting to hear that for the last 40 years. It's, it's, it's kind of like, the trouble is we can still hear you because we're not in heaven. That's the only way that illustration falls down. Anyway, the, the point is that, that heaven hears the heart and not just your English or whatever other language you choose to worship in. Worship guards your heart. It, you're worshiping God and somehow something happens to your heart. You keep your heart. Second thing I found over the years is the word of God. We had a kind of word in our worship about this. The word of God coming into our hearts and penetrating our hearts. It's truth. So when your heart is full of truth, it deals with lies. When you're, you know, that was a fantastic word this morning. Who were you listening to? So God is speaking to us. And when you, when you listen to the word of God in your heart, it guards your heart. It protects your heart. I spoke on this a couple of weeks ago when we had this brilliant conference here with 320s and 30s. And go online and listen to what I said because I just really shared my heart on the whole thing of the word of God and how it transforms our lives. And if you and I will be those who will soak ourselves in the word of God, full of wisdom and full of truth, it will keep us. Third thing is this, the gospel. Some of us as Christians just kind of hear the gospel and get saved. The gospel is full of grace. The gospel is full of reminders of the mercy and the love of God. You should allow this gospel to penetrate your life every day. You just take time out to remember what Jesus has done for you. You just take time out to indulge once again in God's lavish grace and mercy upon your life. It guards your heart. It keeps your heart soft. Because you're always realizing it's because of God's love, it's because of his mercies, it's because of his grace. Here's the fourth thing, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's so wonderful, but one of the things he's done is to help us <coughs> to guard our hearts. He comes into our hearts <coughs> so that we are those who are, have our hearts constantly be affected by the work of the Spirit. This heart thing isn't just down to you to try your best. I don't think that's going to work. This works when you daily submit yourself to the Holy Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit, I've got a heart. It's deceitful. It's a bit sick. I don't trust it anymore. Would you please come into my life and do something in me that would help me to have a heart that's open to God? And the final thing is this, in this section of guarding your heart, it's the local church. Well, what a weird thing to talk about. Why does the local church guard my heart? Well, without the local church, you're just selfish. In the local church, your selfishness just becomes more apparent. You didn't think I was going to say that, did you? It's, in, it's when you're with your brothers and sisters, when you realize, I can't do this on my own, I'm in a family, that actually your heart gets guarded. Because without the family of God, with all of its warts and all of its mistakes and all of its difficulties and people that are not like you, 
It's actually God's way of changing your heart. It's God's way of molding our hearts. The church is a wonderful place to grow up. And one of the things it can do is harder, can can affect our hearts from being self-centered because actually you're surrounded by people who you love and you learn to live with. The third and final thing is this, from scripture. The one was heart is deceitful. The second was guard your heart. The third is what James preached on last week. And I have no apologies, just quickly mention this again. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. So the third point is this, where your treasure is. Where your treasure is. Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there will your what? Where will your heart be also? See, sooner or later, the subject of money is going to come up as a test to where, what the condition of our heart is really like. It's the big test. Why is money such a big test when it comes to this? Well, because it's really not about money. Money's just money. It's all about your heart. I, every time I hear someone preach on money or talk to me about money, I react. I react. It makes me feel uncomfortable. I don't like talking about it. I feel awkward. I feel embarrassed. Why? It's just paper, coins. What's going on? What's going on is my heart. That's the reason I feel all those things. And actually, when anyone preaches on money, they're not preaching on money. They're preaching on your heart. They're preaching on the state of your heart. You know, someone says, someone says we just done th- we, we, the, the guy's just preached three weeks on money. No, he didn't. He preached three weeks on the condition of your heart. Where is your treasure? Really, that's where your heart is. There's a funny phrase that goes around, or a couple of phrases. Just follow your heart. I hear people sometimes say, wherever your heart leads you, follow it. This verse says the complete opposite. Jesus, full of wisdom, says, your heart will always follow your investment. Ouch. That's quite painful. Where your treasure is banked, that is where your heart is. So in other words, if you seek God's kingdom first, that's where your investment is. Then that's where your heart's going to be. And when your heart is investing in the kingdom of God and not your bank, then you can, you can receive exhortations like give your first fruits, give your money away, be generous, open your homes, be hospitable, meet the needs of the poor and others. Why? Because where your treasure is, there is your heart also. You see this morning, folks, how vital this subject is. And I just feel this morning that the Holy Spirit wants to come and he wants to give us a moment or two to respond in terms of the condition of our hearts. I said it earlier, some of us have a heart condition. It's not physical, it's spiritual. And we need to be honest and open about that. I know I do. My heart isn't where it should be. Sometimes I have compromised hearts. Sometimes I'm kind of finding myself responding in ways that are not right. God wants to get our hearts.